0: Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, with a very special guest by the name of Kyle Hoffman. Kyle, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am. All right, we'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into your world, what's one little thing that people don't know about Kyle Hoffman?
1: I am as into the horse racing world as I am the automotive world. Really? Horse racing? So...
0: Where did that interest come from?
1: So this will come on later in this conversation, but since I was small, I have craved speed. And before I could drive, there were horses. Horses are the symbol of speed and power, and I don't ever get tired of watching them run.
0: So did you grow up around horses then?
1: I did. It was primarily through my aunt, but uh, I watched many of the Kentucky Derbies run Um, and I have some very noteworthy memories from that time.
0: Or I lived in Del Mar, California when we first got married, my wife and I bought a house there and there's a Del Mar racetrack there and yep. Every once in a while, we go over to the horse races. I'm not really one who likes to gamble.
1: I work too hard for my money. So it had nothing to do with gambling for me. It is strictly just watching them run.
0: Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. And those horses are, you know, the elite of the elite of the elite. Mm -hmm. And uh, my grandfather was a farmer and a rancher in Texas. And I didn't get to see him much because I was living, grew up in Southern California. But when I did, he did have horses. And I got to ride horses. Uh, they didn't look quite like the horses that I saw later run at <laughs> run at their <laughs> horse races. Uh, but, you know, they were work horses, ranch horses and stuff. And uh, I think my biggest impression is sometimes you don't realize how powerful
1: mm-hmm. and big a
0: horse is until you get up to one and get on one. And you realize these are kind of gentle giants, most of them. I mean, they...
1: Big dogs.
0: Yeah, big dogs. There you go. (laughs) Big dogs. Uh, Pretty fascinating, beautiful creatures, for sure. Interesting. All right, well, let me give you a proper introduction. Kyle Hoffman produces and hosts his YouTube channel titled... Depreciation Nation. Oh my gosh, that's appropriate for these days with the inflation we're dealing with. A show he's run for over two years. He's been addicted to speed since he was five years old. And like he said, it all started with horses, as they were a rep- representation of speed when he was a small child. In 1996, his older brother bought an E30 BMW, great old cars, with a manual gearbox as his first car, and Kyle was hooked. He's owned several of these quintessential cars, never recognizing their importance, of course, until they're gone, like many of us do. Kyle would buy them low, sell them high, and along the way, developed a number of useful skills in the process. From this relationship, his Depreciation Nation YouTube channel was born. We'll be back to learn a lot more about Kyle, Depreciation Nation, cars, and maybe a little bit about horses. But first, a word from our sponsor. Give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Covercraft offers you ten different options. That's right, ten for your special vehicle's protections. You can choose from Weather Shield HP, HD, Sunbrella, Ultratech, Reflect, Form Fit, Custom View Shield, and their newest five-layer all climate, three-layer moderate climate, and five-layer indoor options. All are custom tailored by Covercraft's talented craftspeople just for you. It's the form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Surface protection is the best way to preserve the investment you've made in your vehicles. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. I have a Covercraft cover for every one of my vehicles, and I have a deal for you. If you use the code ya 21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code yeah 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework. I shopped around and I found American Collectors Insurance. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. 224 9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars. Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. Auto Geek's Blackfire SIO2 Spray Sealant. It's a spray on, wipe off sealant that's quick, safe, and easy to clean and protect your vehicles. I love using it on all my cars. AutoGeek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant is a spray-on, wipe-away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long-lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products. And Blackfire Spray Sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature it has to offer. This sealant will protect your paint from road film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint for months. Go to AutoGeek.net to get yours and for the best product selections on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. AutoGeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. Check them out today. So Kyle, we are back. So I want to first... Go back a little bit further in time to your life and what you've been doing with your life up until the time you started this YouTube channel Uh, because YouTube has been around – well, you've been around longer than YouTube, so there's a start. But what did you do in your early days and how did this evolve into what you're doing today?
1: So I work a day job like a lot of people do that are trying to make it on YouTube, Um, but that really didn't play into it. I – I'm probably going to go back to around 2009, 2010. That was really the first car that I bought low, and I had spotted this Volkswagen Passat that was on a finance company lot. And the front left fender was crunched, and it was generally pretty rough. But I looked at that car, and I thought, I can work with that. And so it was one of the cars that was subject to the oil coking issues that plagued the Volkswagen 1.8 turbo motors of the early 2000s and I went into the finance company and they had informed me that it was uh it was indeed a repo and that the motor was toast and that the car would eventually be up for bid and that they would reach out to me at that time so time passed I was actually off of work ill one day, and I got a call from the finance company, and the car was actually up for bid, and they wanted like $400 for it. They had gotten a quote from a junkyard for 350 and they said, if you can beat that, we'll, we'll give it to you for $400, and I was like, you know, I want the car for $400. So I think I'm going to go ahead and pass. And so not five minutes went by and they called me back and they said, actually, we had misquoted the junkyard. They said (laughs) the junkyard, the junkyard offered us three hundred dollars for it. And if you can beat that by twenty five dollars, you can have the car. And there you go. (laughs) Three twenty five sounded a lot better. Yeah. So I bought the car. I got the car to start in the parking lot before we left. The motor was not toast. Uh, So I had dropped the front subframe, which was challenging in itself. And we dropped the oil pan. We cleaned the oil pickup out and put it all back together. And I drove that car for... Year and a half, two years it was manual transmission. For three hundred and twenty-five bucks. Yeah, sure. so I had to put tires. <laughs> I had to put tires on it, and then I ended up sourcing a fender from a junkyard that was a spot on paint match, like it had the proper amount of fade and everything. Wow. Polished the headlights and we drove that for eighteen months. And that was really the first car that was or would eventually lead to the YouTube channel because nobody could believe that I had seven hundred dollars in that car with the tires and the fender and everything else that had been done we had a running functioning decent looking car yeah well so
0: you you did that deal you sold it and went hmm okay this was kind of fun experience made a little money mm-hmm. is that when the idea of your youtube channel came to or did you do a few more cars
1: i did a few more cars from there i found uh, uh an e30 on craigslist that had red white and blue rally stripes and we're not talking red white and blue we are talking uh, american flags hmm. all over the rally stripes okay and so that was on craigslist and i did this thing where i'd save my searches and i just go back and revisit on weekends and i'd leave them sit there for a while and then I'd finally reach out. So I ended up buying that car for $500. And that car was in Bloomington, Indiana. And we drove to Bloomington, Indiana to get it. My parents lived there. We picked up the car and I immediately drove it to my parents' house and took off the racing stripes with a heat gun yeah, okay. before we... before we went any further. And so I peeled those stripes off and I took the car home and I cleaned it up in general. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. And it was in the garage and somebody saw it from the street and they actually knocked on my door and asked me if I'd be interested in selling it. And I said, I don't really know. And they were like, well, I'll give you $2,700 for it. And I said, that'll work. (laughs) <laughs> and so all I did with that car literally was just clean it up, peel stripes off and we made a made a decent return on it. <laughs> nice. And that car led to another car which led to another car and I had been talking about a YouTube channel for a while but conditions weren't right to start one uh until about 2 years ago but there were a number of flips and a number of vehicles that were enjoyed along the way.
0: Yeah, how fun. Well, This is a neat story because what I would call a side hustle with a YouTube channel and trying Mm -hmm. to build that and build an audience and so forth and doing it around a field of passion. I assume you're a car guy. Have you always kind of been a car guy? Yeah,
1: from 1996 forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So – When you started your YouTube channel, and for people listening out there, some may be thinking about doing this. And YouTube, my gosh, since I started doing my podcast, YouTube has just exploded. You can pretty much find everything you want to watch on YouTube. I always joke and say, if I wanted to pull one of my own teeth out, there's probably a guy who will show me how to do it. Maybe not the best way, but there'll be a guy there that'll show me how to do it. So when you tackled this whole idea of creating a YouTube channel, what was your... What was your focus here? And and your title is very interesting. I kind of joked about being appropriate, but we all talk about cars depreciating. Most cars are a depreciating asset. But in your case, you figured out a flip of that, right?
1: Yeah, there were a number of names that were in the pot before it became Depreciation Nation. And I'd done, I toyed with a DIY channel and I toyed with something called thousand dollar euros because I tend to gravitate towards Europeans. But then the problem with thousand dollar euros is, is that that really limits me both to a make and money, which is not always plausible. Right. In addition, you've got channels out there that are nothing but projects and you've got channels out there that are nothing but interviews and you've got channels out there that are, They're just one thing. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to generate something that was eclectic automotive content, meaning that we have projects, we forecast future collector cars, we talk about collector cars that I missed the boat on. Because at one point in time, this is my favorite story to tell. Uh, In 2001, I had an opportunity to buy an E30 M3 with seventy nine thousand miles on it for fifty two hundred dollars, oh wow, and that is generally the story that I tell people when I tell people that I missed the boat uh, <laughs> because I thought I honestly thought if this car is fifty two hundred dollars now, it's probably going to be thirty five hundred dollars next year,
0: yeah, well, it kind of went the other way, didn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so I missed the boat with the e thirty m three I missed the uh boat with the m coupe. I missed I missed the boat with the nine four four. I missed the boat with a few cars, we'll say, to the point that that boat has long set sail. And I don't I don't believe we'll be seeing them. Uh, at least in our garage
0: <laughs> well you know it's interesting because I've been around a lot longer than you I'm, I'm older than you and mm-hmm. you see these curves and changes in the cycles and one thing I've learned I've been very lucky because I've had a lot of collector cars and every one of them I've made money on some of them I made a lot of money on and it wasn't by design it wasn't my approach my approach was to find something that I really loved and typically, I tend to gravitate towards cars I can't afford that are nice cars, so I would buy used cars. But one thing I've noticed on all the cars I've made money on is they were popular when they came out. That is, people gravitated toward them. Some were limited edition, rare models, like you mentioned M's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had four BMW uh, M cars, M3s, lots of 911s, a 914, a GT350 Shelby Mustang. And so... I found, and that's where I'm leading up to this question, how do you, how does your crystal ball see at this point with your, your navigational skills versus the ones that are sailed, as you said, uh, which kind of cars to go after that you can make some money on? And how does somebody do that?
1: These are the cars that I wanted 15 to 20 years ago and I couldn't afford them. There you go. Same, Same for me, yeah. Everybody has that car. And for some, it's, It's a GTO, and for some, it's a Corvette, and for me, it is Europeans. And so for me, I am 42 years old, and so I was in my 20s when the E46 platform was really popular. Mm -hmm. And there was not a time that I saw an E46 that it didn't turn my head. I've had a number of those since then. And so, for instance, again, I buy low and I sell high. I bought an E46 in Atlanta for $300? I, I think.
0: think now that begs to ask the question, what was wrong with it?
1: It supposedly had a blown head gasket. But the thing with E46s is is most of them with 150,000 plus miles, the crankcase ventilation system is gone. And when the crankcase ventilation system is gone, they replicate symptoms of a blown head gasket. Wow. And okay. so at $300, I was going into this pretty safe. And so I got the car home and uh, I it started up and it ran fine. Um, and so I started getting further into it and the the car didn't have a blown head gasket. The, the CCV was, was gone. So $105 in parts. I went ahead and replaced the expansion tank on the cooling system since that's prone to failure. And that was another car that we drove for two years. Nice. Uh, I think we put 18,000 miles on that. And then when we were done, we, we sold it for again, a lot more than I had invested in it.
0: Yeah, the E46 is a great, I've had two M3s, I still have one, I bought new in '05, and I've watched this year as a lot of uh, collector car prices have just shot through the roof, and I'm shocked that for a mass-produced car that really doesn't, they're not limited, uh, mm-hmm. maybe some of the color combinations and things, how expensive or how valuable they become. Now, I've seen in the last probably two months, that's starting to Bend off a little bit, but I think that has to do with interest rates and, mm-hmm. you know, people's uh, concerns about the market and so forth. But still, that was a car that everybody, not everybody, but people like BMWs wanted, but they were expensive. And when I bought mine, it was expensive, but dare I say, I could probably get. Kind of close to what I paid for it now because mine is low miles, perfect condition, never damaged, and nice color combination. So, again, just got lucky. It wasn't the plan. It was a daily driver when I was driving. Mm -hmm. Now I commute down the hall. So tell us about Depreciation Nation. What are some of the things you do? Because one of the shows I watched is a past guest I've had on the show here, Chuck Beck. And -hmm. you met talked with him about his Beck Spider because I had – one of his cars at one time. So, um, is that one of the variations of different kind of shows you do? You basically it interviewed is. him, went for a drive, and we do
1: a little bit of everything. We film with Chuck Beck twice. There's an afternoon with Chuck Beck, and then there's the video about the five fifty Spider. Now, Chuck Beck is an interesting story because I knew who he was when I was eight years old. <laughs> My dad worked in the automotive field at that point, and we knew. He knew that Chuck was working on something, and it wasn't that he was close to it or anything like that, but it was enough that Ford was talking about it. And he had a lot of respect for the man, and he's like, Chuck Beck's working on something, Chuck Beck's working on something, and that something that he was working on would later be the Shogun. So fast forward another 30, well, 32 years. And I had just moved to Atlanta, and I'm at Caffeine and Octane, and I bumped into Chuck for the very first time. And the wild thing about Chuck is just how humble he is, and about how the only person that doesn't know he's probably one of the coolest people on the planet is him. So that came and went. I didn't have a YouTube channel at that time. I was still talking about it, but the the timing just was not right. And so... YouTube channel comes to fruition. I bump into Chuck at Caffeine and Octane. And I'm like, yeah, we just started this YouTube channel. And I'd really like to film with you. And I don't know how you feel about that. And he's like, how's tomorrow?
0: (laughs) (laughs) As Chuck. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I was really excited because he had a Shogun at his shop. Unfortunately, they showed up to pick up the Shogun literally hours before I got there. Oh, no. And it was so important to him that he actually called me and asked me if I wanted to still come. And I said, why? I like the show was important, but like it wasn't that important. I still want to come. Um, and we just had an absolute blast for two and a half hours.
0: That's nice. Yeah, he's such a great guy. It's uh, yeah uh, fascinating. When you look at what you're doing, I would assume you've got some inspirational people that have very successful YouTube shows uh, on cars. Are there some of those folks that you really look up to that have built great audiences and shows?
1: The VinWiki community has done something special. A few of the influential individuals that are regulars on there are some of my close associates. In addition to that, Randy Popst was was huge when I was 20. Uh that is as he was rising to fame with K-Pax Racing and all of that. And so back in well I think K-Pax was in 2010, so this would have been prior to that. But back in 2004 and 2005 when my son who was a very small child at that point, when I'd be up with him in the middle of the night, I'd be watching reruns on Speed of Randy <laughs> Randy Racing. And so I moved to Georgia in 2018 and I, well, I, I moved to North Georgia in 2018, and we'd go to Harbor Freight, and Randy Popes had just been there. Wow. And we'd go to a restaurant, and Randy Popes had just been there. And we'd go to Walmart, and Randy Popes had just been there. And, and for the better part of three years, it seemed as though I was always uh, a day late and a dollar short to where Randy Popes had just been. And so we walked into Road Atlanta on February of 21, I think. And I said, because when we started, we had a crew and then life happens and the crew got their own priorities. And so they all went on to pursue their own projects, which is great because it's wild to think that everybody's still going to be in the same place two years later. So they all went on to do their own thing. But I turned to one of them and I said, I wonder if Randy's going to be here today. And no sooner did those words come out of my mouth than he was standing right in front of me. Isn't that funny? Um, And I had kind of a meltdown because he was a he was a hero of mine. Whereas Beck was a legend, Randy was a hero because Randy was out there actively doing all of the things that I wanted to do. And so uh, we approached and he was very friendly, as he always is, and said, I've got this YouTube project after I told him that I'd been following him all over Georgia for three years, but not as a stalker, just (laughs) it seemed as though he'd been every place that I had been. And uh, so he invited us to his house and we did an afternoon with Randy Popst and uh, he and I still chat relatively frequently. He's very, very busy, but uh, that that was a, a really big deal for me.
0: How fun it is. Well. I got to have him on my show as well, and he's just such a nice guy. And he's, Mm -hmm. you know, one of those people. And it's, you say there's that warning, you know, beware of meeting your heroes. But he's one of those that is like, okay, he is who he is. Uh, It's really nice and refreshing when you come across that. We're going to take a short break. We come back. I've got a challenge question for you. So sit tight, keep the seatbelts on, and we'll be right back. You know what? We are all wired differently, and not everyone needs to go to a four-year university. Technical education and the skill trades matter, and one can build a solid career as an auto, diesel, or collision technician. There are no longer blue-collar jobs, they are new-collar careers, as the technology and skill sets have become so advanced. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a cars, yeah, charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org. You've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine here on Cars. Yeah, for a couple of years now, well, they're growing. And in 2023, they're going to grow from four issues a year to six. And there's an opportunity here for you to take advantage of this growth. If you go to LinkageMag.com and click on the Renew button, if you already subscribe, you can get a great deal. Use the code RENEW6 for one year and you'll get six issues for the price of four or Type in Renew12 for two years, where you also have a great savings. Plus, they'll even throw in a free Linkage hat. How cool is that? The publisher of Linkage is Donald Osborne. He's been a guest multiple times here on CarShot. Yeah? He's become a good friend of mine, and I'll tell you, Linkage Magazine is one of those newer magazines that... That you're going to want to get. It's all about experiences, opinions, and values. It's a wonderful publication, something I look forward to getting. And now that I'm going to be getting six a year, even more special. So go to LinkageMag.com. Again, use the code RENEW6 or RENEW12 to get that special deal. Do it before December 31st, 2022, so that in 2023, you'll get six issues of Linkage Magazine instead of four. <laughs> So challenge question, I always ask my guests what's been a big challenge with what they're doing. And more importantly, what have they learned from that challenge that they could take forward in a positive way?
1: So YouTube has been more challenging than I thought that it was going to be. It is very difficult to hit the algorithms and it is very difficult to figure out what people are going to watch. I tried to approach this thing as a business from the beginning and The really frustrating portion has been that I will produce a piece that I get really excited about and it completely flops and then we will put a piece up on the channel that's literally just content and that ends up being a big video for me. Now, we're a small channel. We've only got got just over 1,500 subscribers, but 10,000 views is a big deal for me and we've got 10,000 views on a number of videos that I did not put the same passion into that I did some of the other projects, I guess.
0: So this is interesting because you know what it makes me think about? I had a guest on the show who is an artist, and he was struggling and struggling to make money. And somebody said to him, well, why don't you paint things that people want to buy instead of what you like? Mm -hmm. And at first he said he rejected that. And then he went, there might be something to it. And that turned his whole life around. He became a multimillionaire. He's incredibly successful today. And it all came from that comment. So it, it reminds me of what you just said. So what are you learning from this type of experience so that you can build this page and this channel to a point
1: where you are happy with it? The forecasting is a big deal. People probably watch the forecasting videos more than they do any of the others. And so I think my favorite video is the video we did with a C5 Corvette. We labeled, it as a, we labeled it as a performance bargain. And when I say we, I mean myself and my son because he was the one holding, that, holding the camera that day. <laughs> so we did this C5 Corvette. It was a convertible. It was raining. If there was a worse day that you could have driven a car like that, it would have had to have been snowing. So we did the car. The rain was loud. It was a challenge. At that point in time, because that was early on, so that video is approaching two years old, verifiably, I could find a C5 Corvette between five and $10,000 on Marketplace. I could find several of them in that price range. So it was a forecasting video, and I spout that out, that you could buy them between five and $10,000. And granted, they're basket cases, and granted, you're going to have to sort some things out, but it was a performance bargain. And people like telling me that that didn't age very well because here we are two years on and they are now twenty to $40,000. Even, even high mileage cars are $20,000 right now. Well, see, they should have listened to you back then. Exactly. <laughs> the problem with YouTube is, is people don't pay attention to when the video was put there
0: right yeah
1: and so you, there there's there's lots of little challenges like that but the forecasting videos are probably one of the more watched things we do that and anything Porsche related people people watch the heck out of the Issue is with forecasting videos that you really need an example of what you are attempting to forecast. And so we relocated for personal reasons from Atlanta to Cincinnati about a year ago. Uh, We kept buying cars and people kept hitting my wife in traffic and uh, totaling them. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so it was after the two accidents that occurred four months apart. The second accident, she was very fortunate to walk away from. And she said, I don't want to live here anymore. And so it was at that point that we decided that maybe we should move out of the city. So we had looked at a few options, but she was originally from Cincinnati and I'm originally from the Midwest and my parents are aging. And so we relocated to Cincinnati. And with that came lots of challenges, particularly when you have a YouTube channel about cars, where people like to see cars other than what you have. And so Atlanta's car culture for people that haven't been there and haven't experienced it is just different and it's very exciting and if somebody shows up in a ferrari they're an enthusiast and if somebody shows up in a lamborghini they're an enthusiast and they're just happy to be there and look at the other cars and the midwestern mindset is in i hope i'm not offending anybody when i say this but it's a lot narrower than what it is in some of the larger metropolitan cities and so if somebody has a Lamborghini in Atlanta, they're excited that you're excited about it and like you can climb on into it just like they would and you can mess with all this stuff and like they're happy to be able to give you that experience. And here people don't want you to touch their stuff. And so I spent a year reaching out to dealerships and anybody else, hey, I can kick some advertising your way and like in exchange, I just need a car for a video. And then of course we went through the car shortage and the chip shortage. And so people... People were great to have you do walk-arounds, but they didn't want you to drive the car. And so we've done walk-arounds, and people don't watch walk-arounds because people want to see how the car drives. And so it's not even really worth the time to try to make a decent walk-around because you already know that somebody's not going to watch it. So I kept canvassing dealerships and canvassing dealerships and canvassing dealerships. And most of the time, people either said no, because that's the thing about YouTube, get used to people telling you no, or they wanted me to do their version of what they wanted. And while their version is okay, I have to have some blend of your version with my version because people don't necessarily want to see what you want them to see. And so about four weeks ago, one of the dealerships that I had talked to months ago reached out to me out of the blue and asked me if I'd be interested in filming some cars. And I said, yes. And they don't just have cars. They have interesting cars like a 1998 Nissan Cedric. And so... It looks like my content's about to get more interesting again, and we're going to be able to start forecasting and things of that nature. Very cool.
0: Well, you have been around some cars, obviously, from what we've learned. Is there one car that's a special vehicle story for you?
1: It is the 1984 Audi 4000 S Quattro. Okay. This car is kind of special. I bought this car back in 2008 or 2009. I tried to put the I tried to put the timeline together several times with the documentation that I have left from that time period, Mm -hmm. and I have not been terribly successful in doing that. I know that I still owned it in 2010, but I also know that I sold it in 2010. So that was a car that I bought as a daily driver and actually predated that Passat that I started this whole conversation with. I hauled my kids around in it, and we literally daily drove that car Every day, everywhere we went, that car went all over the Midwest. It was in Indiana, it was in Illinois, it was in Kentucky, it did some time in Ohio, and we, we drove it everywhere. And so I bought the Passat, and when I bought the Passat, the 4000 sat in the garage and didn't move for six months. And that's typically my time when I'm thinking, maybe I don't need this anymore. Mm-hmm. So I decided that it was a good idea to sell it, and as soon as it was sold, and as soon as I watched it go out of the driveway, immediate regret. (laughs) So, life happened, time passes, and about five years ago, I started looking for it. And when I say looking for it, I don't mean with any real earnest, I just mean I started kicking around the idea and I told my wife, you know, if I ever have an opportunity to buy that car back, this is non-negotiable. (laughs) And she, of course, was happy to placate that because she knew I was never going to find it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so played your bluff.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we live all over the country and then we moved from Atlanta to Cincinnati and then we moved to Cincinnati and I decided I was going to start to look for it a lot harder. And so I reached out to the Vinwiki community, and they kind of pulled their powers in, and we weren't really successful in it because the weird thing was, is at the point that I sold the car, it fell off the map on car checks, on Carfax with the Bureau of Motor Vehicles, just nobody could find the car. So there's a community called We Are Audi Four Thousand. It's an international community, and so I threw that out there, and if anybody can find a car like that, it's them, and. They couldn't find the car. So I went back through my email because I don't delete any of them. And so we're back in 2010 and it was a Craigslist ad. So I start looking and I start replying to everybody that had inquired about the car. I couldn't remember who I sold it to. So most of the emails were returned as no longer valid. And so I got their names and then I started doing a little bit of social media stalking. And I sent out all of these private messages to all of these people that could have possibly bought the car and and nothing happened. And so another few months pass and I tell my wife, you know, I know I can't find that car, but I would really like to find another car like it. And she's like, OK, my mistake was I thought they were still inexpensive. <laughs> and so I found a, found a few of the early 4000s, but they weren't even anywhere near where my head was. And, and so somebody pointed me to I don't remember if it was meekum or if it was Haggerty or where it was. But one of the 4000s had just sold for like eighty seven thousand dollars. No, wow. it was eighty two five. And I went, oh, so maybe that's not going to happen. So I just kind of table that, and I'm walking out of Target one day with my wife. It was a Saturday, and I get a notification on my phone, and it's it's the guy that I sold the car to, and he still had it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. He said, it's, it's kind of rough. He said, do you want it back? And I said, well… Well, it's kind of (laughs) rough. Yeah, what does that mean? And so he sent me pictures, and it, it had been rotting in a field for a very long time. Oh. Fuel pump had gone out on it, and he just had lost all interest with it. And paint was mostly gone on the hood and the roof and the trunk lid. And whenever people see pictures of the car, they ask if it had an engine fire, which it didn't have. The paint just gave way in a very odd, odd way. So he's like, do you want it back? It could have been completely reduced to rubble and i still would have wanted the car back so we went back and forth for the better part of a week and uh we finally came to a a mutually agreeable amount to buy that car back he had never registered the car the car was still in my name you could have just gone out there and dragged it out of the field (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's literally how it could have been if i had known where it was so we go out there and the car is we run a u-haul and a trailer and we like i could not have been happier. And ironically, the car ended up being about 40 miles from where we currently live. So we drive out there on a Friday. It starts snowing on the trip and the car is way back in this field to where you can't see it. So he and I start walking back there. My wife rode out there with me and he's like, yeah, the tires are pretty flat. I'm trying to get them aired up right now and then we're going to pull it out with my Jeep. And so we pull it out with the Jeep and as it crests that hill, my wife sees it for the first time. And She thought that I had lost my mind. Well, you had. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we get the car loaded up, which actually happened relatively easily. And we're on our way home. It's so bad that pain is blowing off of it as we're driving down the road. Nice. And she's like, so when do you think you're going to have this done? And I said, by June. And this was in February. And she said, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. This is going to be a multi-year project. And it, it didn't happen by June, but it did happen by September. Nice. And so because of the channel, I had a few people that were willing to sponsor some things. But then there were supply shortages. And then the cost of paint went up. And the cost of this went up. And the cost of that went up. And it ended up that I couldn't get any anybody to do anything that initially agreed to do something to bring this car back to life. So uh, I ended up doing it all myself in the garage and uh, for an amateur that did a build on a very uncommon car that is now a combination of Audi 4000 uh, Volkswagen Dasher and there's a few 944 parts on it. It turned out pretty well. (laughs) Uh, It is it is far from being done. It still has needs. But at the end of the day, it looks great. Uh, We got all of the we got what rust there was on there addressed. My neighbor is a welder by trade, so he welded on new quarter panels that came from Latvia, and waiting for things was probably a bigger challenge than the project itself. So that is the special car. It is in storage for the winter with one of the other cars from the channel, and then it'll come back in the spring.
0: Ooh, that's a story. Holy cow. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, those early 80s, the Quattro's the, the car I really wanted, and I got married in 84, was the Audi Sport Quattro. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they weren't bringing over here. You couldn't even get one here to drive. But yeah, that car to me was was kind of cool. I had a Scirocco at the time, a 79 first-gen Scirocco that I bought that kind of had the same looks but not as aggressive that I thought was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, Audi's have done a lot of cool things. So as you know, if you've listened to my show, I have a degree in car psychology. Uh-huh. I don't know where I got <laughs> it from. It's on a wall. Yeah, it's on paper somewhere around here. Can't find it. At any rate, if you were manifested, reincarnated as a vehicle, what would Kyle Hoffman be and why?
1: I think I'd be a 200,000-mile V6 Honda Accord.
0: Okay, and why is that?
1: <laughs> so the V6 Accord is no slouch. It's still got a little bit of speed, faster than an E36 M3 anyways, and it's relatively reliable. It can take some abuse, it can take some challenges, and it, it can probably run neglected longer than anything else. <laughs>
0: So that's a nice relationship to you. I, I think I can see some positives in that correlation. So nicely done. You know, I like to ask about books. I love books here. Is there a great book you'd like to share?
1: Honestly, I read little snippets here and there. I stay pretty busy with the projects and with trying to build a YouTube channel and with all of the things that go on in the world. I probably listen to people for pieces of advice more than I sit down and read a book. And so some of those pieces of advice were that you can't teach anybody anything that knows everything. And then when I was younger and I was constantly working more hours secularly than than are probably healthy to do so I had a lot of people tell me that I needed to knock that off and when we're young we often think that they don't know what they're talking about and then 20 years of your life flashes by and you wake up and you're 40 years old and you realize that they were right yes so try now to do things with my time that bring me love and and fulfill some passion
0: that's a wise thing to do so as you know i like to give people the opportunity to go on the ultimate drive so i'm going to buy you any car in the world don't worry about cost today don't worry about depreciation uh or the station i'm going to park it at your garage your station uh what vehicle would that be and the other thing is you get to bring anybody with you on this ultimate drive you get to go anywhere and this person could be living or someone who's passed
1: So my person that comes with me would be my wife. She's been pretty supportive through all of this.
0: It sounds like it when you drug that howdy out of the field (laughs) that she didn't go running away.
1: (laughs) I'm not always the easiest person to live with, particularly when things aren't going my way and maybe not even not going my way, but just challenging. There were a few times with part supplier issues that I literally thought I was going to lose my mind and she was very patient and, uh,
0: gave you a good perspective. It sounds like, yeah,
1: yeah, um, it's, As far as the car, a 997 GT3, that is my it car. That is the car. A lot of people want Ferraris and a lot of people want Lamborghinis. And I think that those are very cool. And I would very much like to enjoy those things. But if it could be only one car, the 997 GT3 stands out. It was probably the best of Porsche that ever was. Um, I know that some of the older cars have character, but the 997 GT3 was a split between modern and past. Um, we still retained a lot of the analog feel uh, without getting too crazy with electronics.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're uh, they're pretty cool cars, that's for sure. And where would you be going on this drive? Do you have an idea? Pacific Coast Highway. Ah, sounds like fun. I'll tell you, I was very fortunate. I, uh, a friend of mine bought a GT2 rs and a 2007 model i believe it was uh flew me down uh to pick it up in california and i got to drive it back home and uh oh,
1: that's a nice time that
0: was pretty cool yeah that was pretty sweet and you know not a great car for around town because very stiff clutch um mm-hmm. you know very jumpy it's not a commuter car by any means but boy you get out there and open it up and i i dare say um once i got uh it would been driven a little bit once it got over the break-in period i I might have gone over the speed limit once or twice, I I think. I'm not going to say how much, but I do have a picture somewhere. But I'm not going to show anybody because I don't want to get in trouble. So you've taken us on a fun ride today, and I really appreciate you sharing what you're doing. It sounds like you're having fun and figuring out life. Is there something you could leave us with as far as a success quote or a mantra? I love the one where you can't teach anybody anything that knows everything. I'm going to add that to your list.
1: Keep, Keep grinding as you reach out to a lot of people for help. And when I say be prepared to hear no, you don't you don't hear no on quite the scale that you hear it when you're starting a project like this fresh. Probably the biggest thing that took the wind out of my sails was when we started this Audi project and everybody that was there to help backed out. Um, And it, it was neither here nor there because they they were literally responding from a place of trying to protect their business. And and like I completely get that. But. Keep grinding. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, and you'll eventually accomplish whatever whatever it is that you you want to accomplish.
0: Yep. Persistence and tenacity. Absolutely. You can find Kyle's YouTube channel. You can go there and subscribe and get updates. Uh, check it out. I think you're going to have fun watching this. And um, other than that, Kyle, uh, keep grinding, my friend. That's all you got to do. Just keep grinding. I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Until you and I talk
1: again, I'll see you down the road. Make sure you check us out, Depreciation Nation on YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Content is not always the same across the platforms, so you might see something special once in a while.
0: There you go. Check it out, Depreciation Nation. All right. Thank you
1: so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up